The last couple of weeks, our pastor has been speaking on the subject of anger. And as I thought in about anger, and we talked about Cain and Abel last week, I, Lord led me just a couple more pages later to Genesis chapter 6 and Genesis chapter 7. And, and thinking about anger, uh, you know, in the past when we've thought about anger, and maybe rightly so, there's kind of two kinds of people. Uh, those who have anger problems and those who don't have anger problems. Those who are just kind of easy going through life and those who really have anger problems. And uh, studies have showed us that people who have anger problems really need to watch out because uh, when you have an outrage, when you have an outburst, uh, you are much more likely uh, in the next couple hours after that outburst to have a heart attack, to have a stroke, uh, and it is dangerous. So you people who have anger issues, you need to deal with it, right? That's why we're having this series. Uh, but actually, it's, it's not true at all. There's not people who have anger issues and people who don't. Uh, we all have anger issues, and psychologists and counselors, uh, they figured that out. And uh, it's more those who express anger and those who hold it in. And, and that's true. We, we all truly do have anger issues, and this really does apply. Uh, the topic of anger uh, really does apply to all of us. Because what does anger do? Think on it for just a second. What's the purpose of anger? Why do we have anger? Uh, we'll talk a little bit more about it, but just at the thought, uh, it, it puts us in control. And we like that. We like being in control. We know what, uh, what's going to happen because we, we feel at peace when we're at control. You think about it, life is much like a roller coaster. You start out, you're excited at the day, your, your hair's all nice, and man, you even got your hands up, kind of like just in worship, you're kind of excited. But by the end of the day, you've been tossed to and fro, you've been in circles and flips, and your hair's all messed up, and you don't know what happened, you're just stuck looking just like this. <laughs> and you just, I just get mad about it, because then you contr can control something, uh, and you just respond in anger, uh, and, and feel like we're in control. Uh, and so we think about anger today, and we think about um, the flood narrative, the story of Noah. Um, you may remember the Scopes trial in the 1920s. You remember that in Tennessee when um, Darwinism was being taught in the public school and that went to trial about, it was really creationism or the intelligent design versus evolution there uh, in the Tennessee courts. And the lawyer, Clarence, um, I believe it was, was Darwin, uh, not Darwin, uh, Clarence, uh, Lawrence Clarence, excuse me. Uh, he had William Jennings on the stand. And he asked him, Mr. Jennings, he had built a case about his belief about, do you believe the Bible? Yeah, I believe the Bible. You believe it's God's word? I believe it's God's word. Do you think it has errors in it? No, it doesn't have errors in it. He kept building his case, and he asked him a question. He said, do you believe every living thing died in the flood if it wasn't on the ark? He said, yes, of course. He said, got you. You even believe the fish died. How did the fish die if they were in the water? See, this Bible can't be true after all. I mean, it thinks the fish died in the ark. Well, um, that lawyer and many have not read the, the whole story. And in it, the Bible is very clear that um, every living thing on the earth, on the land died, not the, not the fish. But uh, from that, from the 1920s, uh, Noah's ark has uh, been laughed at, snickered at as a fable, as a myth. It's not a true story. Uh, you look today, where do you see Noah's ark uh, or the characters of the ark, the animals? Where do you see it most often? Well, in nurseries, right? In kids' room, in toys. Uh, nothing wrong with them. I don't think we love reading our little son the story of Noah's Ark, and we have a bunch of little books, you know, that illustrate it, and that's all good. But uh, we just kind of laugh at the story, kind of overlook it. 
about really what happened in the ark. Millions of people upon the earth at this time. And only eight were left at the end of the flood that were in the ark. I mean, amazing story. And if it is true, and I believe it is true, I believe there's a lot of secular truth about it. You can look at all the archaeology, um, and there is over 270 cultures that have an ark story. Okay, 270. All ancient cultures almost have an ark story in their uh, history. And more than that, this is crazy. 95% of them, uh, it says in those ancient narratives, uh, there was somebody saved from the flood on a boat. That's exactly what we have here. Uh, but I, I don't believe it. Uh, I don't believe the story because of archaeology or geology. We don't have time to get into that. But I believe it because of Christology. Jesus believed it. And Jesus claimed to be God, uh, counterpart to Mormons and Jehovah's Witness, whether they want to read it or believe it or not, over and over again, Jesus declared to be the God of the Old Testament, the creator God. And the God of the universe said, he said, in, in the coming of the Son of Man will be like the days of Noah. He believed in this story, and uh, that's more enough, good enough for me. And more than that, it's the Bible gives it to us, and it's God's, it's God's word. I, just just count. You know, you don't have to leave your mind uh, at the door when you walk in, uh, when you come in to worship. The, you know, archaeologists, secular archaeologists, when they go to make digs all over the world, especially in, uh, around uh, where the Bible took place and where the stories come from, do you know the number one place where they look to start? and to find where, what really happened in the stories. You know the number one place, secular or not secular, do you know where they look? The Bible. That's the first place they look. Isn't that amazing? Because they even know that the stories contained here are true. Uh, but we're going to find out just knowing it and thinking that it's true and knowing the stories is not quite enough. But well, I believe we really do have a lot to think about this morning to consider, even our own lives, thinking about anger and thinking about the uh, flood story here, if you would. So in Genesis chapter 6, if you'll follow along with me, we're going to read some in chapter 6, and we're going to go to chapter 7. Now it came to pass when men began to multiply on the face of the earth, and daughters were born to them, that the sons of God saw the daughters of men, that they were beautiful, and they took wives for themselves of all of whom they chose. This, by the way, these first couple verses, trying to study them before, uh, it made no sense to me. I couldn't figure out how it all went together. But uh, if you'll hang with us, I think it all makes sense. Verse 3, And the Lord said, My spirit shall not strive with man forever, for he is indeed flesh. Yet his days shall be 120 years. When you read that, you know, you might at face value think at the end of verse 3, that means that people aren't going to live past, uh, it says men's years, past 120 years. But if you go on Genesis chapter 11 and 12, people are living to be uh, 100, uh, 200, 300, 400 years old. So what's that talking about right there? Is that talking about men's, how long they're going to live? I don't know. We'll get, we'll get there. Uh, verse 4, there were giants on the earth in those days. And also afterward, when the sons of God came into the daughters of men, there's that phrase again, and they bore children to them. They were mighty men who were old, men of renown. The Lord, then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intent of thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And the Lord was sorry that he had made man on the earth. And he was grieved in his heart. So the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast, creeping thing and birds of the air, for I am sorry that I made them. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. This is the first mention of that word grace in the Bible. 
Skip with me, if you will, to um, chapter 7 and down in verse 7. Verse 7, so Noah and his sons and his wife and his son's wife went into the ark because of the waters of the flood. Of clean animals, of animals that are unclean, of birds and of everything that creeps on the earth. Two by two they went into the ark of Noah, male and female, as God had commanded Noah. And it came to pass after seven days that the waters of the flood were on the earth. God told Noah before this, he said, you got seven days, flood's coming. You got seven days, get those animals in there, the flood is coming. And it came to pass after seven days that the water uh, uh, of the flood were on the earth. Verse 11, in the 600th year of Noah's life, in the second month, the 17th day of the month. That's pretty specific, isn't it? On that day, all the fountains of the great deep were broken up, and the windows of heaven were open, and the rain was on the earth 40 days and 40 nights. On the very same day, Noah, Noah's son, Shem, Ham, and Japheth, and Noah's wife, and three wives of his son with them entered the ark. They and every beast after its kind, all the cattle after its kind, every creeping thing that creeps on the earth after its kind, every bird after its kind, every bird of every sort. And they went into the ark of Noah, two by two of all flesh, which is in its breath of life. That's already read once was, you're going to see some things are repeated. It's a very simple story, not trying to be complicated. It wants you to get a couple important things. Verse 16. So those that entered male and female of them of all flesh went in as God commanded, and get this, and the Lord shut him in. Now the flood was on the earth 40 days, and the waters increased and lifted up to the ark, and it rose high above the earth. The waters prevailed and greatly increased on the earth, and the ark moved about on the surface of the water. And the waters prevailed exceedingly on the earth, and all the high hills under the whole heaven were covered. The waters prevailed 15 cubits upward, and the mountains were covered, and all flesh died that moved on the earth. Birds and cattle and beasts and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth in every man. All in whose nostrils was the breath of the spirit of life. All that was on the dry land died. And he destroyed all living things which are on the face of the ground. Both men and cattle, creeping thing and bird of the air. They were destroyed from the earth. Only Noah and those who were with him in the ark remained alive. And the waters prevailed on the earth 150 days. Chapter 8, verse 1. And God remembered Noah and every little thing and all the animals that were with him in the ark. And God made a wind to pass over the earth and the waters subdued. Father, this story is vast. This story is um, somewhat beyond our comprehension. God, would your Holy Spirit help us to understand truth, apply it to our lives. God, may as we, may we be changed as your word is expounded upon. God, may you move in the way only you can, in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Uh, go to chapter 6 with me in verse 1. Let's tackle these seemingly complicated verses. Uh, I've had some people want to talk about this before, and almost like, you know, the Nephilim, if you've heard that term, these giants, and uh, supposedly these angels came down from heaven and uh, mar or, or, or had sexual intercourse with these men or women, and it just got all complicated and crazy, and some people take that, but I, I think if you put this in its context, that's the most important thing when studying the Bible is put it in its context, put it in its, what's going on around it, and I'm I believe it really makes a lot
lot of sense and it really goes together. Uh, and remember, the whole problem here, the whole problem, if violence has started, Cain and Abel, and this story is building upon that story. And you're going to see that here very clearly. It said, when it came to pass, when men began to multiply on the face of the earth and daughters were born, that the sons of God, who, who are the sons of God? Is that, is that, well, if you turn to chapter 4, uh, just back real quick, just verse 26, and it says, uh, and for Seth, who was Seth? Uh, after Cain killed Abel, Adam and Eve had another son. His name was Seth, and Seth had a lineage. And these sons, you're going to see, they became known as the sons of man. They called on the name of the Lord, and they were called the sons of Yahweh. Uh, look in verse 26 of chapter 4. And as for Seth, and him also, a son was born, and his name was Enos. These men, then men became began to call on the name of the Lord. Uh, so you have this lineage of Seth who is godly. They're called the sons of God. And then you have um, Cain's descendants. And we're not going to go back and look at it, but you can. Let me encourage you to do so. Uh, Lamech, who is the guy after Cain, uh, he's got multiple wives. He kills people without remorse. He enjoys it. Killing, I mean, violent. This guy is terrible. He likes women, uh, flesh. He, he, like I said, he likes to murder and kill. And this just gets better. So you got this one lineage of Cain that are, are, are really daughters of men. And it's talking about Cain. Less of the next phrase in chapter 2 of verse 6, uh, chapter 6 of verse 2, that the sons of God saw the daughters of men and that they were beautiful. And so you got Cain's descendants and you got Seth's descendants. Uh, and, and Cain's descendants saw that the, these women were beautiful. Now, what does that make you think in the first couple chapters? It's the same word that Eve, when she saw the fruit of the tree, that it was, it was beautiful, it was desirable. And so here again, the writers, Moses is playing with your thoughts to go back to that story. And they took wives for themselves, all of whom they chose. So in other words, this descendant of... Seth, this people of God, these people who fear God have now intermarried with the people of Cain who don't fear God, and now it is all sin. Now it is it's complicated. That's why in the church we encourage not to have missionary marriages. By that, uh, girls or boys who are getting married not to marry an unbeliever. No reason to go ruin your life and disagree with somebody on the most important things in this world, namely what you believe about God. And that's what you see happen right here. And it's just, man, violence just comes upon the earth. And the Lord said in verse 3, uh, My spirit shall not strive with men forever, for indeed he is indeed flesh, and his days shall be 120 years. Doesn't that make sense? Why God's not going to strive with men forever? Why? Because now they're all evil. Now there is no more descendant of Seth that was holy and fearing God. Now they're all evil. And it shall be 120 years his days. What's that talking about? Well, in 120 years from now, a flood is coming. That's what it's talking about. That 120 years, man's time is going to end. God's going to end the world as they knew it. And there were giants on the earth in those days. Okay, great. There were big people. And also afterwards, when the sons of God came into the daughters of men, those line of Cain and line of Seth came together, they bore children to them. And they were mighty men of who were old men of renown. They were strong. What did they like doing? Well, look in verse 5. It tells us what they liked to do. Why were they men of renown? Why were they mighty men? They saw that the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth. They liked wickedness. They liked violence. Just like Lamech had liked to kill and not, uh, it was unrepentant of it. Now all the earth is like that. They all like violence. They all enjoy death. And the Lord saw 
the wickedness of man. This is taking us back once again to the creation story. Uh, do you remember kind of the pattern of the first six days of creation? Uh, after it said, every day, God said it was made, and then there was, uh, he saw that it was good. And then it was evening and morning of the first day, second day, third day. That's the pattern. Every day he says it, he sees that it's good, and then it is uh, morning and evening of the first day. And, and here, what does the Lord see as he looks about the earth? He sees wickedness of man was great in the earth. And that every intent of the thoughts of his heart, that word intent there, it's really the term of a potter making, taking clay and making pottery out of it. Everything man was doing, all of his thoughts of his heart. And uh, um, the word for heart there is really just the persona. Even here, we're just going to talk about God in a minute. Uh, we think heart, emotions, that's not the Hebrew word. It really means our inner person. Every person was only evil continually. That's what these mighty men do. Now the world is filled with Lamechs and evil. And hear this. And the Lord was sorry that he had made man on the earth. And he was grieved in his heart. Uh, he, he was grieved. He was sorry that he had made man. Why? What we're going to see in a minute. God loves life. God created life. God wants to preserve life. And what do these men do when they are violent? And violence is spread throughout the whole world. And death has come to the whole world. The whole world is filled with angry people who love violence. So the Lord said, I will destroy man that I've created from the face of the earth. Get this. Both man and beast, creeping things, and birds of the air. Why is he going to kill the animals? What did they do? Why the beasts? Why the birds? Why? Why? What did they do? Why, I know, all men are violent, but what about the animals? Well, in the creation story, we're taken back. Who, does ha who has dominion over the animals? Man does. And now mankind is all violence. And here's the point. They are responsible for the animal world. And because they have judgment coming upon themselves, because of their anger and their violence and their death that they're spreading, the animals get it too because they are under their dominion. See, as we're thinking about anger and um, you think about, you know, why should I deal with anger? Uh, you know, it is true. You really can only help people who want to help themselves in some some point there's some truth to that you, you can't uh help somebody out that just wants to not let you help them well, some of us don't want to deal with our anger because we we don't want to get rid of it we we like it it puts us in control we don't want to necessarily deal with it but let me give you a good reason why you should want to deal with it and we all have it whether we let it out or not why should we want to deal with our anger because if we don't it will affect those around us friend our culture doesn't think this is true our culture thinks we can allow homosexuality in our nation. And, and it's okay for what people do on their own, that it doesn't affect people around them. That's a lie. It affects every part of our life. We allow things like that to go on. Uh, friend, anger in our lives. We may look, why are our kids, why are they so angry? We might want to look in the mirror. How, how, did, all, where did, where did, how, how did the whole world get violent? Started with Lamech, started with Cain killing Abel. In the story, you go back and read the first six chapters, it's just a downward spiral, and it gets worse and worse and worse. What Pastor Shane says is so correct. What one generation does in uh, uh does some, the next generation will do in excess. Friend, we're not islands. What, oh, excuse me, we, we don't live on an island. What we do affects everybody around us, and our anger does as well. Just like right here. 
And that's why the whole world has come. It started with Lamech and Cain, and now it's spread to the whole world. So right there uh, should be motivation enough for us to deal with our anger, if not our own self, but those who we affect. And you can believe it. You remember when Pastor Shane was preaching last week? I thought about this so much this week. When Cain, uh, God gave him a chance. Pastor Shane expounded that so, uh, I thought, amazingly that he had a chance to repent and turn back to God, but he didn't do it. He didn't do it. Lamech, he doesn't even try to turn back. Uh, And you can see because they didn't turn to the Lord, now the whole world is filled with violence and anger. Same as for me and you. If we don't deal with our sin, it's going to pass down to our next generations. And it will be worse than it was when we had it, than when we dealt with it. So I think that's good enough to read. Now let's go to the next scene uh, in this, if you would. And it's in chapter 7, verse 7. So God is uh, taking Noah and he's commanding him to build this ark. He's been building it for 100 plus years. People are thinking, this guy's crazy. What's he doing? There's hints in the Bible. It hadn't even rained yet upon the earth. What's this guy doing? He said a flood's coming. God told him, this guy's lost his mind. What is he doing? And it says, Noah and his sons and his wife, they went into the ark because the waters of the flood in verse 7 of chapter 7. And then it goes to talk about the, uh, the animals that are coming in. And then all the way up uh, down to verse 11. In the 600 year of Noah's life, in the second month, the seventh day of the month, on that day, all the fountains of the great deep were broken open and the windows of heaven were opened. Uh, great deep were broken open. Where, where do we see the word great in chapter 6? Their sin was great. And now God's judgment is going to match their sin. It's great. It's deep. It was broken up. And the windows of heaven were open. And the rain was on the earth 40 days and 40 nights. Now, I think the next verse is interesting. The very same day, Noah and his son, Shin, Ham, and Japheth, and Noah's wife, and the three wives of his sons, they entered the ark. And then it goes on to talk about, why does it talk again about, uh, all the way down to verse uh, 15, in verse 16, the animals that got in the ark. Well, think about this. He gives them uh, seven days. He says, go get in the ark, Noah, start getting all the animals. And then who gets in the ark on the last day before all the rain starts to, when the heavens open up, who gets in? Just the eight. Nobody else. Nobody else took Noah up. I mean, this blows my mind. Not even like his neighbor, who for a hundred years have been hearing him preach about the coming judgment. And I'm going to get all these animals and they're going to come in. I mean, if you got to think, didn't the people in the town or the city say, what are these animals doing for seven days coming from everywhere, marching through, getting on this ark? I mean, this is a miracle. Look at all these animals. Maybe Noah is right. Nah, forget about it. Nah, can't be. He's still crazy. He just got a bunch of animals in a big old boat that's like 300 yards long. I mean, what's he doing in there? He's lost his mind. And then it starts to rain. And nobody gets in the ark except Noah, his three sons, and their wives. Nobody else gets in. Hey, what, are you trying to, what are you trying to get at? I'm trying, I mean, the persistence of these people's sin. They still would not get in the ark. Not even his neighbors. Nobody else got in the ark. What you see here in this contrast is what God loves and what people love. So what you see here in chapter 7 is over and over again, three times God tells about Noah getting in the ark, the animals getting in the ark. You see the story of God saving the people he has grace upon. 
those who walk with him and the animal life. You see him saving life. You see him preserving life. But then you see these other people who all they hate is death and violence and anger, and they won't even listen to the life. They won't even listen to the light and being saved. They don't want nothing to do with it. <laughs> and really, when we think about anger, it really is a story or a question of what do you love? You see, anger is a secondary emotion. Think about it. Uh, you really don't get angry because of something you love is threatened. Something you loved is about to get uh, maybe stepped on or is being embarrassed or whatever you name it. For instance, uh, you got kids and somebody's driving crazy down your street. You get really mad. Mama Bear gets really upset really quick, don't she? Because her kids are outside playing and we don't need nobody crazy driving around the neighborhood because our kids are outside playing. And that, that's a good kind of anger, right? Because she loves our kids. She loves her kids and, and rightly so. So anger is a secondary emotion, and, and it really comes from what we love. And what you see here is what God loves. The question is posed a lot of times, uh, how can God be a God of love if later in the Old Testament, uh, when they go, the children of Israel go in the promised land, he tells them to wipe out all of the Canaanites, all of the people, the children, the livestock. And you say that's a God of love? How could you do such a thing? I want to take that question. I want to back it up to Genesis chapter 7. How could God destroy everything and everybody except the, uh, the animals and the eight people? How does that? What's the answer to that question? Well, what does God love? God loves life. God wants to preserve life. He said he's, he's destroying. And don't, don't doubt it. In the story, God takes responsibility for the flood. He doesn't pass it on to somebody else. He takes responsibility for it. Why? Because the world is filled with violence and death and anger. And he loves life. There, everything he sees is bad. It's terrible. And you go on to uh, the Canaanites when they go into the promised land. God had sent prophets 400 years warning the Canaanites to repent. The, the biggest problem in the Canaanite um, land was baby sacrifice they were taking children and offering them on uh, to idols and they were literally burning children and they wouldn't stop because God loves life he has to do what he does because of what God loves there comes his wrath there comes his judgment and what I'm just saying is the same for you and me but here's what we got to ask ourselves is why do we get angry what makes us angry when you and I have anger, what really comes up? Why is it? What is it that we love that forces our anger? You see, there's a really fine line of what I'm trying to get at. Um, because God has given us good things. Uh, but the problem is when those good things become the ultimate things. Um, children, what a blessing from God. But when we try to start living our life through our children, uh, we've crossed that line, right? Um, uh, when the blessings of God become idols in our life, and then our anger is expressed because our idols have been touched on. You know, you hear people a lot, I don't know, you know why I don't go to church? Because preacher, all he wants to talk about is money. Probably been to church like two years in a row and the preacher talked about money one time. But what happened was somebody talked about their idol. The preacher doesn't touch their idol. He didn't like it. She didn't like it. So, uh, it, it, what, we have to ask ourselves, what do we love? And do we love that thing too much? Has it taken the place of what we ought to love? 
So uh, as we think about anger, should we deal with anger? Absolutely, because it spreads to people around us, no matter if we let it in or hold it out. And the question is, what do we love and how much do we love it? As we see contrasting stories between what God loves and what man loves here, and what God rightly loves and therefore he judges, um, and what we love and where our anger comes from. I want us to look to the final movement here, the story. Look at verse 17, if you would, with me. Now, the flood was on the earth 40 days. Now, I want you to track, as I read through these verses, the word prevail or rises in the Hebrew language. I don't know Hebrew. I don't even know enough of it to be dangerous. I don't know any of it. You have to read that stuff right to left. I do good to read left to right. But, um, in 50 words in the Hebrew Bible, 20 of them have to do with the water continuing to rise. The, Moses is trying to get to us that this was a terrible, and it just built, the drama just built. So as I read it, think about that. And the waters increased and lifted up the ark, and it rose high above the earth. The waters prevailed and greatly increased on the earth, and the ark moved about on the surface of the water. And the water prevailed exceedingly on the earth, and all the high hills under the whole heaven were covered. The waters prevailed 15 cubits, that's like 20 feet, upward, and the mountains were covered. And all flesh died that moved on the earth. Birds and cattle and beasts and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. And every man, all in whose nostril was the breath of life, the spirit of life. All that was on dry land died. So he destroyed all living things which were on the face of the ground, both man and cattle, creeping things, and birds of the air. They were destroyed from the earth. Only Noah and those who were with him in the ark remained alive and the earth prevailed on the earth excuse me the waters prevailed on the earth 150 days imagine the story there they are in their towns in their villages it's night the thunder rolls the lightning strikes and all of a sudden a heavy rain comes which they had never heard before water starts pouring out of the sky all of a sudden, it, it begins to rise in their, in their homes. And, and as dawn breaks, water is, is already maybe waist high. Volcanoes are erupting. The uh, ground is giving way because water is just making valleys and the streams are building up. Now water's coming from everywhere. People are struggling to find family members, food, trying to get to safety. There's nowhere to go. Water's coming too fast. And imagine Noah and his family. There they are on the ship. There they are on the ark. And people coming, pounding on the door. But there's nothing they can do. They're shut up in there. Nothing they can do. There's no pegs on the ark for people to grab hold of. But now all of a sudden they're afloat. The water is going so high, people are now having to swim. As they see family members begin to drift away. And I imagine to start with, Noah and his family would have seen hundreds, if not thousands of people around the ark and people swimming. And one by one, ten by ten, they begin to drift off and begin to drown and sink because they're, they're dying. They can't swim anymore. Maybe they don't know how to swim. Whatever it is, everything is dying around them. All they see is death till there's only a couple more around the ark. And then they see the last couple few dissipate away and sink away. In verse 21, and all flesh died. What do you think was the response of Noah and his family? 
Do you think they looked upon the water? And they said, yeah, that's right. They got what they deserved. No. No way. There's no doubt in my mind, Noah and his family looked after they seen everyone die. And all, everything that had breath die. That they looked and they said, why me? Why am I still alive? Why are we still breathing? Why are we on this ark? And it's found back in chapter 6, verse 8. Why? Because Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Grace. What, it, what is grace? Well, the Bible tells us very, uh, a very great doctrine of grace through the New Testament, even through the Old Testament as well, that grace is God's unmerited favor. You see, it wasn't because Noah was good that God loved him and saved him and his family. It wasn't because there was any goodness in them. No, it was his grace. It wasn't because of their merit of good works. No, it was because of his mercy. It wasn't because they had worked to deserve it. No, not at all. It's just because of God's grace. Grace is not uh, a reward for the righteous. It truly is a gift to the guilty. And the problem is, many of us don't want to admit that we're guilty. It was grace. It was grace that saved Noah. You see, where, where does uh, so much anger comes from unmet expectations? What we thought were going to happen, what we thought was going to happen, didn't happen. What we were looking forward to happen didn't take place. What we thought our kids were going to be, they didn't be. What we thought we were going to happen in our older ages didn't happen. What we thought our marriage was going to turn out didn't go that way. How we thought our job was going to go, it didn't go that way. However the day we thought was going to go, it didn't turn out how we expected it, and therefore we were angry about it. Friend, what we need to do is examine our expectations. You know why God didn't flood the earth anymore? I'll just read it to you. You don't have flip. It's in chapter 8. It's at the very end of it. God's talking about his covenant. And this is what he says to Noah. Uh, then the Lord said in his heart, I will never again curse the ground of man's sake, although the imagination of man's heart is evil from his youth. I, he said, Noah, I am not going to do this again. I'm not going to flood the world again. You know why? Simply because every thought is still evil. Everybody is still evil from their youth. What? What he's saying is, if I was going to flood the earth every time a generation was all evil, I would have to flood the earth every 40 years. Friend, it's God's common grace that you and I are here this morning. It's God's common grace that we got to come and open his word. It's God's grace that we had yesterday. But friend, that may be common grace, but what God is on the table is offering is special grace. And that's salvation. That was the ark to Noah. And here's the deal. Noah was preaching to all the people. The ark was open for everybody. And here's the deal. Everybody around Noah knew about the ark. They knew it existed. They knew it was a thing. They knew it was there. Even seven days, they saw them all going into it. But when the waters come, did it save them? No. See, the Bible in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 says, We are saved by grace, by God's hand reaching down. But we're saved through faith. They had to walk up the plank and get in the ark. Friend, we can know all about the Bible. We can know all about the gospel. And friend, it won't do us any good until we decide to walk up the plank and to get into the ark. That's what the Bible calls faith. 
It's believe. It's a decision to trust, and that's grace. And friend, when you know Christ, when you're in the ark, if you will, when you are in Christ and you know Jesus personally, friend, you, you're so thankful. It just automatically gives you a sense and an attitude of thanksgiving because you understand what you deserve. You understand that you deserve to be in the flood like Noah and his family would have thought. I deserve to be out there in the water struggling to swim and finally dying. That's what I deserve. Friend, the question was, as we just talked about, we need to examine what we love. Friend, when you love God, above all else, it changes. It changes your attitude, changes your perspective, and friend, that alone will deal with your anger. When you love a God who loves life, when you love a God who loves life so much he was willing to judge the world because all it created was death, when you love a God who provided an ark for whoever wanted to get on it to be saved could get on it. When you love a God who sent his only son to this world so that he could live a perfect, righteous life and die in our place. When you love a God who so much thought about me and you that he was willing to crucify his own son, willing to send him to the earth to open up the heavens and have wrath of the floodgates pour down on him on the cross of what you and I deserve, the wrath that should have been upon you and me. Jesus took that day on the cross. When you love a God who is willing to punish his son the way you and I should be punished and watch his son die. When you love a God who, uh, who died for us and you love a God who on the cross said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Somebody who was crucifying them. You thought you had a bad day yes, last week? Jesus was crucified. And on that day, he said, forgive them, Father, for they know not what they do. When you love a God like that, when you love a God who three days later conquered the grave, when you love that God, <laughs> the things of this life, almost become trivial because you are in that love. And when you abide in that love, that's a problem for some of us Christians. We don't abide in that love. We let the world get our mind and our heart, our person off of the love of God that he has for us. But when you love that God, anger is taken care of. The problem for some of us is we, we never have loved that God. In chapter 8, in verse 1, very quickly, God remembered Noah. I think this is important. There's so much to this story, we just don't have time. We just don't have time to dive in. Maybe that's a bad choice of words. God remembered Noah and every living thing and all the animals that were with him. This word remembered used seven, 70 times in the Old Testament that talks about God. And always it follows, the word to usually follows, but it doesn't here. And it also always has God remembering to take care of his people, protect his people. And here's the same. God remembered Noah and every living thing and the animals that were with him in the ark. And look at the story that it's telling. And God made a wind to pass over the earth, and the water subsided. What's on the earth? It's all water. 
And now God has sent a ruach, wind, the same word for spirit. They only have one word for wind and spirit in Hebrew, and it's ruach. It's the same word here, to go over the waters. What does that make you think of? Genesis chapter 1, before uh, he began to make order out of chaos and and make life where it was unhabitable. Uh, Here, the spirit, just like in Genesis 1, is hovering over, the wind is hovering over that water. What is it doing? It is making life out of uh, chaos. It's making order out of confusion. Uh, God is taking care of his people. He remembered Noah. He's taking care of Noah. You see, Noah deserved, and he would have understood that. He would have served him and his family to be in those flood waters of judgment. But God remembered Noah. He remembered his grace. And, and what you, you know the sign. It, it's abused in our day, but you know the sign of the covenant is the rainbow. And the word for rainbow, it's, it's a, a bow like you shoot. It's the same word. And which way is a rainbow pointed that God put in the sky? It's pointed up. It's no longer pointed down at man. Isn't that amazing? Uh, the story, we don't have time to get into it, but the number 40 really throughout the Bible has a lot to do with warriors and prevailing in war and in battle. And here God is a warrior who wins over the violence and anger. He's the one who judges and wins. And his bow is no longer pointed down at man, but it's pointed up. In his covenant. In the book of Revelation, as we sung about, what is around the throne? A rainbow. God remembers his covenant. That is the good news. God is faithful to remember his covenant. <laughs> when he sees our sin as Christians and he looks on us, he, he doesn't remember our sin. He remembers his covenant. I like what the girl in Sunday school said when she was asking, Is there anything God can't do? And she said, Oh, yeah, God cannot see my sin through the blood of Christ. Do you? If you go back and think about that flood for just a minute, and as those flood waters were rising, could you imagine if you weren't in the ark and you were scrambling trying to figure out what to do? I mean, even there, if you would have thought, oh, wow, Noah was telling us about the judgment of God and our anger and our violence. He was telling us this was coming. But you know, you could have sit there and cried over it and cried over it and cried over it, and it would have done no good. They could, they could have tried to get to the highest mountain. They could have uh, tried to get to dry ground and stay there, but it would have done no good because the floodwaters continued to rise. To pay for their sin, all the works, all the sorry, feeling sorry about it, would have done nothing. So the same thing is true with your sin and my sin. We can cry over our sin. We can cry enough tears over our sin. Uh, as many as tears as water fell from the sky, it's not going to do nothing about it. We can spend an eternity in hell and still our conscience will not be seared from the very first or any sin. There's only one thing that can clear the guilt of sin. It's the blood of Christ. It's the only one thing that can cleanse. It's the blood of Christ. And this morning, if your conscience is seared, if it's feeling guilty because of wrongdoing, I want to tell you there's only one thing that can cleanse it. It's the blood of Christ. There's only one thing that can save us from the wrath to come. And friend, don't doubt it. There is wrath to come. First Peter chapter, Second Peter chapter 3, Peter wrote to the church. He said, you remember when the flood came in Noah's day and they weren't expecting it. He said, friend, the waters will not fill this earth again, but fire. The elements of this world will burn up. Judgment is coming. The Bible says that the Son of God is coming back. The trumpet's going to sound. Those who are him are going to be called up. Those who are dead in Christ will rise first forever to be with him. But this world is going to burn up. He's going to remake it. A new heaven and a new earth. And the only way you'll be there 
It's if you know Christ as Savior. If you've plunged in the blood of the Lamb. Would you bow your head with me this morning? This morning, as we pray, if you have never had your sins erased, if you have a guilty conscience this morning, if you're convicted of sin, and you've never accepted Christ as Savior, you've never dealt with sin, but you understand what we've talked about this morning, you understand that the, uh, as the ark was the only way for salvation, that Jesus is the only way for salvation now, that Jesus is the only one who can cleanse me from my sins. If that's you today, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand. I, I just want you to look up at me. Just, just look up where you are. Just look at me real quick. All over this room, just look at me. Just look at me. Today you want to accept Christ. You want to deal with your sins. Just give me a look. Just look at me. Okay. Okay. Those who are looking at me, listen to me. I'm going to say a prayer. You need to mean it with all your heart. I'm going to ask God to forgive your sins. To wash your sins away. Okay. Pray something like this. Father, I believe Jesus died on the cross for my sins. I believe there's power in the blood. God, wash my sins away. Come into my life. Take over. I surrender to you. Lord, give me the courage to stand for you, to live for you, and not be ashamed of you. Christian, as we're still praying, maybe you have misplaced your love today. Maybe you've loved something more than God. And that's where your anger's coming from. You're, you're either loving the wrong thing or you're loving something good too much. Maybe today you want to get back to loving God more than anything else because you understand he's the greatest thing in this world. He has so much to offer you, so much he wants to do in and through you today. But you just need to love him again, back walking with him. And you, I want you to come to this altar and just bow down and say, Lord, I surrender it. Just do it in simple, Lord, I bow down to you. No, no longer what I want in my life, but what you want for me. Father, as we enter in this time of altar, a time of invitation, Lord, I pray we would take advantage of the time. We'd redeem the time. Those who accepted you as Christ, uh, as Savior today, I pray they would come up here and uh, let us rejoice with them. We want to help them. We've got resources we want to give them. So, Lord, I pray they would come up here and grab one of these preachers and tell them they accepted Christ today. Lord, for the, the Christian who's loving the, the, the wrong thing, Lord, or loving the right thing too much, God, I pray they'd come and bow their allegiance to you. God, I pray that you would work in this time of invitation. In Christ's name.